Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Adam Dorsey, a psychologist in Silicon Valley, and I am the host of Super Psyched, a podcast dedicated to supercharging your life. Each episode contains fun, high-quality interviews with experts looking at psychology from all angles. Super Psyched is your tool to get more of what you want in your life and less of what you don't. Sex. It's one of life's great paradoxes. Few things can bring as much pleasure and connection. And yet, few things can also bring as much pain and vulnerability. There are so many misconceptions about what constitutes good sex, as well as who we are as sexual beings. And even in this day and age, it can be tough for people to talk about sex in a matter-of-fact tone. Today we will be talking about male sexuality in a very matter-of-fact tone with a true expert. Jim Benson helps men of all ages and backgrounds know themselves more fully as sexual beings. For the past 17 years, he has been coaching men to experience what he calls breakthroughs in the bedroom. Jim is a certified and experienced Tantra teacher and has worked broadly in the U.S. and Europe. So I invite you to listen in as Jim and I do a deep dive into the psychology of male sexuality. Jim, welcome to Super Psyched. Adam, great to see you and hear you. Likewise, and I understand that I'm speaking to you in a house that predates uh, the United States. Uh, you're, in, <laughs> you're currently in, in Western Massachusetts in a house that's north of 240 years old. That's right. It's been quite a shift from my uh, uh, California lifestyle, you know, perfect weather all the time, dude, to uh, <laughs> like Western Massachusetts where they have things like snow and uh, wind storms and yeah, it's, it's a lot of getting used to it, but uh, I, we do have a beautiful home and uh, uh, some property here. So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a more of a homesteader now out here in the, the wilds of Western Mass. Very cool. Well, let's take a look at some of the things that you do, uh, particularly as it pertains to men and sexuality. Uh, I'm curious to know, what are some common issues that cause men to reach out to you for your coaching? Uh, I get a lot of different things. I have guys who have very little sexual experience. Um, so everything from, you know, the, the 40 year old virgin mm. to uh, guys who just feel like, oh, I never got any coaching on sex. I went straight into marriage. I was a virgin when I got married. My wife and I are fumbling around. You know, that's, that's one. Mm -hmm. uh, I, get guys, I get a lot of guys who uh, got divorced and the, the wife kind of kicked him in the butt on the way out the door. I'm like, you never were good in bed anyway. And the guys, you know, it's really a stinger for a guy to get that. So sometimes I get guys who come to me or like, Hey, I'm, I don't have any confidence going out there anymore. You know, my wife just uh, beat it out of me. I need help. So there was like a final kick in the crotch as they were exiting <laughs> and they come to you saying, Jim, this may be true or this may be untrue, but I want to explore it with you. Yeah. And then I get guys who just want to go from good to great. They're like, well, things are good with my wife. I mean, we're, it's fine, but it feels like something's missing. I know that there's another level that I haven't reached, and I would love to reach that place. So I'm really good at helping guys take their game up from, you know, a six or a seven up to a nine or a 10. Yeah. And it sounds like you're good, really, with the entire spectrum, everything from the 40-year-old virgin all the way up to going from good to great, which I imagine is very gratifying for you to actually hear people come back to you saying, Jim, it worked. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's uh, like right in the moment, you know, the, the next call I'll have with a client, uh, or sometimes it's a year down the road, I'll get an email and then someone will say, hey, that whole uh, multi-orgasmic, non-ejaculatory, full-body orgasm thing you coached me in, it happened. <laughs> wow. What you just threw had so many syllables and so many concepts strewn together. I imagine uh, that somebody hearing that for the first time might think that that's a fairy tale, if not impossible to reach for the average person. Uh, can you say, speak to what you just actually threw down the multi-orgasmic sure. non, anyway, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even, I can't even articulate what you just said. Oh, it's funny. I discovered stuff. I'm a Tantra teacher and um, actually teach Tantra teachers. 
And uh, I discovered something for myself when I was hiring Tantra uh, people to come over to uh, work with me in my house, that uh, there was this thing called orgasm that didn't involve ejaculation. And mm -hmm. it, was, uh, it was revelatory for me. And so I wanted to find out how to repeat it <laughs> because I didn't want it to be just a one-off thing. Uh, I wanted to understand it more. So uh, I uh, did a lot of exploring and a lot of training and a lot of mistakes. And eventually I came up with something that I started leading workshops in called Full Body Orgasm for Men. And it was teaching guys how to use breathing, how to use sound, how to use movement, pelvic rocking, all kinds of things uh, that would trigger, uh, enable them to trigger orgasms without having an ejaculation. And so I did a few of those in-person events, and then I changed it to call, it's called Sex Energy Mastery, and now it's called Multi-Orgasmic Lover for Men. So it's gone through a lot of iterations in the past uh, 12 years or so. So Jim, is this something that really any ordinary joke can learn? Any ordinary joke can learn, but it, nobody talks about it. There's no education around it at all. You know, in my experience, uh, learning a new skill is overwhelmingly frustrating. You have to go through various stages. I like to think of them as the stage of unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know. Like I imagine most guys don't even know that this is a possibility. And then you tell them, hey, this is a thing and they become consciously incompetent, like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do this. And then they maybe ascend to conscious competence. They can do it, but they use all of their brain and oh boy, it's hard still. And then after doing it enough times, it just becomes part of them. Competence. Unconscious competence, you're familiar with the four levels. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that. So is that, is that is, I imagine they have to push through a lot of resistance as they're learning these new skills. Exactly. We have old habits of feeling like ejaculation is the be all and end all of sex. It's just, it's, it's actually hardwired in us because how else are we going to have 8 billion people on the planet, right? At, you know, we've got to procreate to survive. So uh, ejaculation has been very tied into pleasure, dopamine in the brain. You know, it's, it's all very wired up that way. So to decouple it takes some effort, some focus and some support. So uh, you know, I've I'm actually uh, working with a group right now of about 25 guys who've done my program online or, you know, they've, they've done the program themselves and they want some coaching to take it to the next level for them so they can be, you know, get support, get accountability, uh, get some tips from other guys. Uh, so it's, it's a kind of exciting to do a group format with the men who are all going through this program, the Multi-Orgasmic Lover program. I wonder, you know, about the group dynamics. Here are a bunch of guys talking about things that are so vulnerable in nature. Uh, the topics are really scary to even articulate to oneself, let alone to a group. What have you noticed about the group dynamics about discussing such sensitive matter? Well, first of all, I would say that the biggest experience for most guys is relief. Like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Uh, oh my God, I can talk about this stuff because there's nobody else in my life I can talk about. I'm not going to talk about it with my wife. Uh, a lot of guys are like that. Um, or I'm single. I'm definitely not going to talk about it on a first date with somebody. Right. So this is not, they're not going to talk about their you know, performance anxiety or sure. fear of ejaculating early or yes. uh, the history that they had when they were you know, seven years old that you know, created a lot of trauma in their lives. So here's a chance for guys to really open up. And it's amazing to experience them, like breaking through, um, talking about uncomfortable topics, uh, like other guys are going for it. And they're like, well, he's going for it. I'm going to go for it too. So uh, it's, a, it's kind of a lively, uh, intense, uh, it's an exciting atmosphere. I'm, I'm really loving it. Amazing. I was just having this image, of course, you're in Massachusetts, so I immediately went to the bar at Cheers, the TV show, and guys talking about things. But in this case, they're talking about sex and going to perhaps spaces they've never gone, perhaps a combination of Star Trek going, talking about where that they've never, going to spaces that they've never gone before. Um, earlier, you mentioned Tantra. And I know there are a lot of misconceptions about what Tantra is. I was wondering if you could explain what is Tantra? Well, the Tantra that I do, we could probably best classify it as Neo-Tantra, hmm. or some would even just say sacred sexuality, because it's 
separate from the Tantras or a Tantra that has a long history and lineage in India. So uh, some uh, people in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s took some of the sexual aspects of the Tantra and brought them back to the West and decided to help people have better sex lives based on a combination of these tantric principles, but also bioenergetics, uh, psychology, uh, even things like uh, movement and dance. So they, they combined it all together to have this thing that we now call in the West Tantra, which is the thing that I teach. And it's uh, the point of it is to have people have greater intimacy and connection with themselves and be able to share that with a partner in a way that brings about greater joy, greater pleasure, um, greater fulfillment. So it sounds like it starts with the individual himself before he actually breaks it out to a partner. Well, that's the ideal. Uh, and in fact, in my multi-orgasmic lover program, I talk to guys about learning to fly solo before you take passengers. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you're going to learn how to cultivate pleasure in your own body, uh, then you're a turned on guy. And the woman is like, oh, <laughs> I've not been with a man who's so focused, you know, on pleasure for himself. I don't, I don't mean a selfish kind of pleasure. I mean, like being like a pleasure powerhouse that the woman can plug into, <laughs> literally. And then all of a sudden she's like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> this feels so good. And they're on board and, and it's just a, a really good vibe all around. Right. You know, I've noticed that because sex is not polite talk and we haven't really been somehow socialized to talk frankly about sex, almost the way we would maybe about a car, uh, very frankly, uh, that euphemisms like down there and other words are used that don't really describe either the organ part or the sensations, that there seems to be a lack of flow of communication, almost like sex as a second language is something that most people are not conversant in. That's what I've noticed. I'm wondering if that's consistent with something that you've experienced. Yes, unless someone is you know, in the business like mm -hmm. I am, or um, they're used to talking about sex. It's, it's a muscle you have to build. And a lot of that is due to cultural, familial, religious oppression. Uh, this society is not designed to talk about sex. If you think, I'm, I'm like right now, and I'm in the middle of Puritan New England. Right. And it, you think about the culture that uh, America has come from, or so much of Western, uh, Western culture. Europe, maybe less, but certainly they have their issues. Um, it's challenging for individuals to um, pull themselves up out of this kind of swamp or uh, heaviness or shame of sexuality. Like having a body is dirty and, or we talk about it in, you know, very cut off terms. Right. Uh, Euphemistic. So, yeah, exactly. So there's a, there's a whole um, network of different kinds of oppression that are affecting us as men that not just affect us sexually, but also affect us emotionally. And I know that's something you talk a lot about. Right. Yeah. So talk about that for a second in terms of being more, even more in touch with your emotions. How does that translate into perhaps better sex? Well, if you, if you don't mind me going back a little bit into the history of, of please let's say um, when, when we're born as boys, you know, uh, let's say boys or girls, we're sensual creatures, right? We're cuddled, we're stroked, we're smooched, you know, as little babies and toddlers, right? But boys in particular stop being touched earlier than girls. It's, it's almost like we're uh, forced to be more independent. And then, you know, in grade school, we're taught to shun girls. If, you're, if you have girls for friends, what are you called? pussy, faggot, uh, sissy, you know, things like that. Some homophobic or misogynistic term. Exactly. So instead, you're encouraged to become competitive with other boys, right? Mm -hmm. let's, let's choose sides for sports. Let's, you know, I mean, even goes up to gang initiations. Sure. So. Uh, Brutal. And if you, if you add to this a systemic denial of feelings, uh, you can't feel hurt. You can't feel scared. You can't feel sad uh, or embarrassed. 
like man up is the name of the game, right? Let's just, you know, all of us guys have been told that at one point or another. So this creates a, an environment of emotional numbness, isolation, and, uh, you know, the lone wolf syndrome begins sure. when we're wolf pups, right? So if you, if you, here we are, we're isolated adolescents, we're disembodied, uh, we're numb to feeling, and we're told that there's one place where we can get it back. Guess where that place is? Sex, <laughs> right? Well, that somehow right. getting laid, we're going to get back all of these parts of ourselves. Exactly. Right? We're going to- Notch get, in the belt. We're going to, yeah, but not only that, we're going to get back our sensuality. We're going to oh, get okay, back I'm sorry. I, yeah, emotion. Um, uh, physical pleasure. We're even going to get loved that way. So we've got a lot of pressure now to have this thing called sex so we can, you know, recover these parts. And so there's scarcity around this. There's obsession around sex. Um, so there's a, this, this whole force behind us uh, of mm, cultural and familial and religious patriarchy, this, all this force of, you know, how to be a, a boy or a man in this culture, it's all behind us. And so we bring it, we're bringing all that into our sexual relationships. So we're a, we're a product of our conditioning, you know, rather than just think of ourselves as bad or, you know, dirty or all of those things for wanting sex and not supposed to you know, you're going to be a stud and like all the conditioning around that, it's painful for men to have to deal with this. So um, let's, you know, I, that's why I'm doing this because I've had my own experiences around shame when I was younger and uh, I've made a commitment to myself to have men feel more freedom, aliveness and um, pleasure in their sexual lives as a counterbalance to all of this oppression that we've experienced growing up. Right. And I'm, I kind of misread where you were going with that. I was actually beginning to think one of the places that a, a male could feel somehow validated was through the quote notch in the belt and that sex becomes a pursuit of that rather than a pursuit of emotional connection. Right. And how, how long will that continue for him until he's feeling kind it's, of empty? It's not sustainable. Him. Right. You know, it's interesting. I was working with a guy and he was in his thirties and in incredibly good shape in terms of where he fell on the spectrum of, uh, of sexuality and sexual identity. He really rocked a fairly solid hetero identity. Uh, he was physically well, his testosterone was north of 600 and he was experiencing erectile dysfunction at, at 28. Um, and this was going on until he was 30 something and it stopped he, uh, as soon as he had an emotional connection for the very first time with a woman who he deemed safe. Mm -hmm. And he checked in with me not so long ago and for north of a decade, he's just been, you know, he's just been so, connected emotionally and sexually and so horny for his one person. He couldn't even imagine that it was possible that he could be horny for a single person. Uh, interestingly, another factor was he was fine with the one night stand. He could get hard, but he couldn't on the second night and moving forward. And what he and I began to realize was that he, he, he you know, he could, he could, enjoy the novelty of the first time but after that his head and heart couldn't lie uh and he he could not get hard yeah i've seen uh exactly what you're talking about many times and there's also the opposite where guys um can't get hard the first time mm. too much pressure and right. too much anxiety uh and then there's guys who show up really well for the first couple of months and then it starts to fade or it's just exactly everybody's got a different story <laughs> that affects their sexual experience well that's a fascinating one when somebody perhaps becomes uh desensitized to their lover because he's seen her naked so many times and 
the newness is somehow gone. Is, are there ways that you know of, of keeping it hot? Well, uh, some of the reasons uh, the, wh where I was just going with that as you were speaking was uh, a porn dependency when, uh, when you were younger or not so young, <laughs> right? Right, right. <laughs> And, as, uh, as they say in Avenue Q, I don't know if you've seen the musical, but they have a uh, an Asu the Grouch-like character who's a puppet who sings, the internet is for porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you've been raised on uh, high-speed internet porn since you were young, and uh, you've got your, you know, your brain on porn, <laughs> mm -hmm. right, is all lined up where you're getting your your dopamine hit from uh, this in ever increasing levels of stimulation and now you're in a relationship with a live woman and yep. uh, you, you're not getting that variety or that intensity that could create some issues around your turn on. Sure. And even the stimulus of a man's own hand can really alter the process of mm -hmm. being able to enjoy typical um, vaginal sex. Right, which is a great way to be able to learn how to communicate to your partner about what you're wanting and needing. So um, if, if you're needing, uh, you know, something different, a different angle with her, or uh, maybe you want her to use her hand or her mouth a different way, or you need to coach and encourage her, uh, what's the best way to do that? So this, those are some of the things that I talk about with guys, like how to talk to your woman about sex so that they feel like they're not being criticized, but you can do it in a way that has them on board as an ally in your pleasure. You know, I'm wondering also, just kind of going back to the porn concept, it's here. It, we can't put the feathers back into the pillow. <laughs> they are flying around. Right. Uh, and I'm wondering, uh, is there a concept of either too much porn or perhaps even the just right amount of exposure to porn? And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. That's a great question because it's, it's very delicate territory. If you have people who tend towards addictive personalities, as sure. you know, uh, and uh, you, know, you show them a sexy video that's not even porn, it could send them straight into a porn fest. Right? <laughs> and there's like, that's, it's a slippery slope and very slippery. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> right. So there's that aspect. Um, but occasionally I will send guys porn clips that I'm work guys who I work with and I'll send them particular porn clips because it might show a very um, extraordinary way of going down on a woman. Mm -hmm. And I would send it with some notes and say like, he, like t look how he's doing this. He's not doing it like, you know, the porn video where it's all just about the right angle and, you know, licking like a machine gun on her clip. Like maybe there's something else you could do that would feel really good for her. And here's some examples of that. Yeah. So I would, I, I would send guys clips to show them that, or, or that I have other resources that I send them to. So is it porn or is it education? You know, is it something that you're using to just get off on? Or is it uh, something that you can use as a tool to learn about? So. Yeah, it almost feels as though uh, porn can be used as a tool or porn can almost basically deplete us from our, our birthright of having a good sex life. Right, exactly. So um, one of the things I do to encourage guys in the multi-orgasmic lover program, whether I'm doing a group with them or whether they're doing work on their own, is to really look at their relationship to porn and to shift from having their experience of sex be, from, be about a visual stimulus uh, and have it be more about a sensate, a kinesthetic, a somatic experience inside of their body. So that instead of visualizing a hot scene uh, or watching a hot scene, uh, they can feel in their own body, their, the energy body, what's happening. Oh, I'm, tur I'm turned on. I've got a lot of stimulation. It wants to come out on an ejaculation. I wonder if I can do something different with that than have an ejaculation come out. Oh. So I'm here to help guys answer that question. Like what, what can they do other than just ejaculate and then feel depleted or feel shame or whatever it is that they're feeling? Not that every ejaculation has to have that, um, but there are other options than ejaculating and watching porn. Sure. You know, I'm just thinking about 
I'm going to geek out for a second. Um, so geek out alert. Uh, the autonomic nervous system is really comprised of two facets. The sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight and flight, uh, which is a boner killer. And then there's our parasympathetic nervous system, which allows us to relax. It, it allows us to rest and to digest and, uh, and is more uh, appropriate for sexual interaction, at least in my experience. And I'm just wondering if that's consistent with what you know, what, 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 how you uh, orient men in their sexuality, trying to get them more tapped into their parasympathetic. Um, I appreciate you bringing up the, the geeky, uh, the geeky <laughs> uh, because I actually talk about parasympathetic and sympathetic in my work. And so uh, for guys who tend to ejaculate early, um, we don't want them going into sympathetic because that's going to, that's going to have them yes. ejaculate quickly. So for those guys, staying in parasympathetic is helpful. So using sound, movement, uh, breath, those are all really helpful uh, in specific ways that I teach. Um, and for guys who have trouble getting aroused, you need to have some sympathetic uh, in there. So uh, I kind of look at, uh, look at it as the two have to weave together. So you... Uh, for instance, you might need to relax in order to start the sexual process. And as you're relaxing, you find it easy to get turned on. Okay, now we're moving into sympathetic. So we're moving into more arousal. You're getting turned on. If you just stayed in sympathetic, you'd go quickly to an ejaculation. Sure. So how do we, how do we shift back into parasympathetic so we can extend our arousal phase and kind of play back and forth between those two. So you come to the edge and you go, ah, I'm gonna do some breathing. I'm gonna do the, the processes that Jim has taught me. And oh, yeah, I can stay there longer. Oh, okay, now I'm gonna ramp it back up with some sympathetic. I'm, you know, more turn on, more build up. Oh, I'm gonna come on back. So you, you find a way to dance between the two. So uh, you're not stuck in one or the other. You know, it's interesting to hear you say the Symbi you know, how these both are important in good sex. And I'm thinking about a concept, uh, another geeky concept in psych that's fairly easy to understand, and that is the concept of optimal levels of anxiety. Like too little anxiety and the rocket just does not take off. It just, it, there's not enough energy behind it. Too much anxiety and the rocket explodes before takeoff. And uh, it, it sounds like there's just a nice, like happy medium that we're constantly trying to tread. Right, and for guys who are used to like just turning on, turning on the engine and blasting off with the rocket, uh, that if, usually through porn, right? Right. Or masturbating through porn, right? Sure. Uh, or with <clears throat> a partner, uh, you know, the the quick trigger. Uh, those guys really benefit from learning techniques to enter the sympathetic realm or the the parasympathetic realm. It's so helpful to have those tools available. So now you're more able to relax in sex and you're more able to connect with your partner and really be present, right? Uh, and so you're right there with them as opposed to feeling like there's an agenda or you've got to make this thing happen or there's pressure, like all that stuff starts to push the sympathetic buttons and you know create results that you don't necessarily want to have. One of the things I'm really loving about your description is the concept of attunement, it sounds like really good sex requires mutual attunement as well as attunement to oneself. So there's a, just a tremendous amount of presence that must be, <laughs> tremendous amount of presence that must be present for good sex. And that's one of the things that's most difficult um, to help men understand, especially a lot of the guys I work with who I would say, Know, for some reason, I attract a lot of engineers or guys who are just very, right. you know, either computer scientists or uh, mechanical engineers or <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. I, I just, just for those of you who are listening, I just, I just waved Spock's, uh, the Spock uh, greeting. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Live long but, and prosper. Uh, but yes. logic rules, right? Logic so rules. How do we, um, how do you shift from the mindset of, strategic thinking with men because that's uh how so many guys approach sex it's like well let's see i'm gonna i'm gonna move in and if that if, if she seems uh, open to that then the next 
step I'm going to do is try to give her a massage. And then I'm going to try to kiss her neck. And like, there's like a whole sequence of things that guys will do. Protocol. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to uh, achieve the uh, eventual result, which is ejaculating inside of her. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> you know, success. Um, but is that really success? It's like the focus is all about, you're, you're not actually fully present in the process. You're, you're a strategizing mind uh, that's attached to a body that you're trying to control and, uh, and also manage uh, at the same time while there's this other person that you're trying to deal with. So it's all very mechanistic as opposed to, you know, relaxing and seeing what unfolds with a partner. And I think for the majority of men, that just sounds really either scary or stupid. <laughs> what about it is scary or stupid? I think it has to do with your relationship to the unknown. Mm. There's some way that if you can control uh, this, this um, very mysterious process that uh, is the source of life, mm. uh, then you'll, you'll have power, success, or uh, love. You'll, you'll be getting these things that have, you've been forced, that have been forced out of you through all the oppression that you've experienced when you were younger. So how can you be comfortable with this unfolding thing uh, in, in a way that many women are more comfortable than men? It just, it just seems that way. Women are uh, more about the process than about the goal. And it could be more of a being versus doing thing that's wired into the masculine mind or the feminine mind. Um, but I would, I would love it if, and I know that so many women would love it if the men in their lives were able to um, allow things to unfold. Not, I don't mean just being passive. I mean being attuned to your inner voice that's saying, like, do this now, do that now. Like, you're, if you're listening to your, your intuition and you're following, you're able to listen and follow the instructions that are coming to you, uh, which some of them might not make sense. They might be a little crazy, but to follow that and see what happens with your sex life when you're doing that, that would be a worthwhile exploration for 95% of the men out there. Amazing, Jim. You know, as you're describing this, I'm thinking about my, I spent two years learning improv skills and so much of sex uh, and improv uh, really are confluent. And I'm also thinking about just the ability to tolerate ambiguity is so important and, and having trust in your partner is so crucial to really foster that ambiguity tolerance. Is that, is that consistent with your understanding? Totally. Yeah. We could call it ambiguity. We could call it groundlessness. Mm -hmm. We could call it uh, the mystery. And if you think, you know, you and I are talking right now during the time of the coronavirus. Right. And, uh, I think this whole, the whole one of the learnings that's going to come out of this is an ability to tolerate uh, a mystery. Mm -hmm. We don't know where this is headed. Mm -hmm. By the time some of you are listening to this, you'll be able to talk about it in a different way. But it's the whole world is in is being forced to accept a greater mystery that's that's occurring right now. So how do we do that? How how are each of us needing to shift inside in order to um, have this be less about uh, a, an oppressive force that's causing pain and uh, death and mayhem in our lives, loss of jobs, loss of, you know, it's, it could be filtered that way, but it could also be filtered as the birth of something new and a way to approach the world that is more life-giving. And how could we do that with our sex lives? That's the translation we could make. And wouldn't that be an amazing outcome of this sabbatical that's been imposed upon us. A sabbatical that none of us had wanted, but it's the sabbatical that we have. And wouldn't this be a great time to cultivate better sexual communication between partners to come out of this more together? I'm just wondering what <laughs> have you noticed is important about maintaining good sex in the context of a long-term relationship? Mm. You know, you could probably come at it from different angles. Like, well, it's important to keep the romance alive. There'll be, 
there'll be coaches or therapists out there who are like, well, just, you just have to re-romance each other. It's simple. You just treat her like you did when you had your first date and you buy her roses and like, you know, you do the, the things that you did in order to capture the relationship and you, you start them up again. And there's value to that. Um, but for some people that rings false. It's a little hollow to do that with a partner that you've now known for 10, 20, 30 years. So uh, how can you be with each other as you are now and not how you were then? That's a, that's a good question because uh, your bodies have changed over time. Right. Uh, your needs around sex have definitely changed. Uh, for some people, uh, they were hot at the beginning and they've just tapered down to maybe even feeling asexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and by hot, you're not just talking about looks, you're talking about their own sexual desire. That's right, yeah, their own sexual desire. So every story is different for couples. And um, if, for me, I think if you can come to a place where you're connected in the heart and that you're feeling a sense of um, warmth and um, um, allyship with your partner and like, yes, I can meet you in the heart. That's the, that's the starting point for all of this for you know, I have friends of ours who um, lead a workshop called After the Honeymoon, which I think mm. is a great title. Great, um, great title. And what, what happens after the honeymoon? And how are ways that, what are the ways you can do to, to bring back the love? And it's such, a, it's such a big question, but I think that it really does start with the heart. And then it starts with intention. What do you want to create now going forward with your partner? And earlier on, on that concept of attunement, I'm really taken by the idea of the platinum rule, which is superior to what used to be called the golden rule, do unto others as you'd want done unto you. Uh, that's kind of insufficient because what I might want might be vastly different or what, how I can, can see love might be very different from how my wife does. I know that there's a great book out called The Five Love Languages that describe five ways to connect with your partner. Um, and the platinum rule basically in, in my words, is do unto the other as they want done. And that requires a, a spectacular amount of attunement and the re- recognition that what they want may be very different from what you want. And I love your idea of starting with the heart, that that's the, that is the way back in to rekindling love. It's not just by perhaps a perfunctory purchase of flowers, unless the flowers are spectacularly meaningful to her. If they have great currency, uh, and I'm, I'm making it a male to female uh, giving of flowers. Of course, it could be vice versa if, if the male enjoys receiving flowers. Um, <laughs> but really tuning in and recognizing the value of what the other cares about. Yeah, I love that you're bringing that up. Um, it really is a platinum rule. And when I work with couples uh, on video conference together, uh, you know, the woman might have a complaint like, he doesn't touch me like I want to be touched. I'm like, okay, let's start there. So, you know, just simply having him touch her arm and having her be able to communicate, you know, what she's feeling and experiencing, you know, very, very gently. And, and for me to coach him around not just touching her like she's an object, but to feel the pleasure in the touch. Like Mm -hmm. what feels good for you as you're touching her? Oh, I'm aware of the heat in her arm and the the little tiny hairs there. That feels good to my fingertips. Like that process of you dropping into sensation and not in any kind of strategy. There's no strategy right there. There's just contact and touch. You're present in that moment when you're really doing that. So if I can get couples to extend that experience of presence over time, now we're talking about a way of renewing turn on because you're just right there with each other and in a very real and present way. That's amazing. And I can also see a common culprit of sexual disconnect as being perhaps the male in that scenario doesn't understand why she likes having her arm touched because he doesn't like having his arm touched. So it's really hard for him to tap in. And what you're doing is you're coaching him on recognizing that that is actually the fuel for her. And if you want her to drive the distance uh, and, and enjoy being with you, 
that is what is necessary. And you're also helping him cultivate an enjoyment of providing and tapping into his own emotional and physiological experiences around giving that pleasure to his partner. That's yeah. powerful, Jim. That's exactly right, Adam. And I, I want, just want to give a personal example. Like for instance, for me, uh, the biggest, one of the biggest turn-ons my wife could do for me would be to take her fingernails and slowly drag them up my sides or, you know, like um, with full presence and consciousness, you know, um, gently comb her fingers through my chest hair, like really softly. And I'm like, you know, that's, to, that's to like an immediate turn-on. entrance into like, oh yes, we are in fact a couple. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, because I like that so much, you know, I want to give that to her. This is the, this is the golden rule, right? I'm, I want to touch her that way. And that's like, uh, she hates that. Not it's her thing. Crazy. She's like, honey, platinum rule, platinum rule. <laughs> uh, are you serious? You actually, that's so funny. You guys use that word? <laughs> no, I'm just using it because. Oh, you that's really it. funny. So well, um, what, what, let I'm, me just finish. Oh yeah, sorry. So um, for her, if I just rested my hands on her back and just felt into her body, and imagined, you know, being close to her and was breathing in time with her, like that's the biggest turn on for her. So no movement because the movement actually disturbs her out of the feeling of closeness and intimacy. So we have totally opposite ways of touching each other. And I have to really watch it because I still slip back into touching her the way I want to be touched. I'm just bringing this up as an example. Like it's this such is such a good this, one. It's work, you know, it's work because I, I keep thinking that that's what she wants. Because, uh, uh, because who wouldn't? That's what I, yes, that's, 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 that's my favorite. <laughs> exactly. And the amount of presence that requires and the amount of kind of a system override, I'm thinking kind of in computer terms on a PC, which would be a control alt delete function. It requires a system override to say, wait, hang on a second. Just because I like this doesn't mean she does. And, I'm also thinking this paired with some research that I came across and I don't know the exact percent, but people have become so disembodied in their sex lives that there's a vast percent of people who think about emails. I, I've been, I read it, uh, that 10% of people under the age of 25 have found it okay to text during sex. I need to get that actually validated, but that, that kind of blew my mind. But uh, I know that people think about meetings and work and other things besides what's actually transpiring in this miraculous moment of sexual connection. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think it's so important to set aside time. I mean, it just, it just sounds like blah, 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 set aside time, but I'm <laughs> serious. Like it's, this is really critical to do this. And you know, sometimes you, you'll go to a, I, I don't know if you've ever gone to a dinner meeting or times with friends where you had dinner and you put your phones in a, in a Such in a, a good practice. Simon yeah. Sinek describes that process. No phones at dinner. No phones. And so you just have no phones. It's, I mean, it just blows my mind that there's some percentage of people who are like texting during sex. Like, oh yes, I, I'm coming. I'm coming. Like, what? What? That's not a, that's... <laughs> How is this? How is this beneficial? And how is this natural? So, um, so not just setting aside time like date night, but actually have time when you can get away together. Uh, and for us, it's getting away from the child because uh, having couple time when you're in a hotel or you're in an Airbnb or you're camping somewhere together, while uh, the rest of the world disappears, is crucial. I mean, that's. How else can you be present? And if you're, if you're not wanting to do that, you really need to look at your issues around um, using activity or work or social, social network in order to avoid feeling intimacy. And if that's the case, what are you avoiding? Like what's there that you don't want to contact? And I imagine that's something that you help your clients really identify. Yes. It is. And um, it's not comfortable to look at that. It's right. not uh, a simple process. It's easy to avoid paying attention to that. 
And back to the idea of being parents, uh, so many adults have memories of hooking up in college and it just being so easy, so spontaneous. And now it needs to be scheduled. And Esther Perel describes that it's crucial for married couples to actually calendar, as unsexy as that sounds, to calendar sex, say, meet me in the bedroom at nine o'clock or whatever time it is. And that for the first few minutes, it will be awkward transitioning from <laughs> washing the dishes, uh, childcare, whatever it might be, to reconnecting. And, but that it's so crucial to do that um, and to kind of justify that idea, uh, one of my favorite axioms is the quality of your child's world depends upon the quality, or I should say, actually the axis around which your child world, child's world spins is the quality of the connection you have with your partner. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important. And sex is a, a fairly efficient way of, of finding that. It doesn't necessarily perhaps mean vaginal sex and intercourse, but some type of a physical connection. What are your thoughts on calendaring? And what are your thoughts on just finding a way to connect physically on the regular? Mm. I love calendar time. Uh, and it's different for different couples. Some people have date night. Some people have Saturday morning. Some people have you know, send the kid to grandma for uh, an overnight. Oh, sure. <laughs> so I can have an evening and a morning. Um, and, you know, I've had something with partners probably for the last 25 years that I've called naked snuggle time. And naked snuggle time. Yeah, basically you take off your clothes, you climb into bed, and then you, you're with each other. And you might have to, you know, talk a little for a little while uh, in order to drop into a place where you're actually sensual and sexual together. You might have to, it just might take a little bit because there's that thing that you did, you know, two days ago that she's resenting you for, or, mm. um, you know, what about the time when she, you know, dissed you in front of the friends or whatever you like, there's a little, there might be resentments and you have to clear some stuff. And if you can do that in a way that doesn't escalate into a fight, <laughs> um, finding good communication skills and, you know, being able to talk about difficult subjects with the goal to connect physically and intimately. That's that uh, naked snuggle time. That is absolutely brilliant. And, and what you're no describing, agenda. what's that? To just to drop the agenda of like, it, it doesn't have to turn into sex. It's like, we're naked, we're close, we're connecting, we're talking. And I'm guessing oxytocin is being transmitted, that yeah. endogenous yummy cuddle chemical that is so precious, as well as a whole host of others, dopamine and serotonin and, and a host of other really important cocktails uh, are, are, are coursing through our bodies when that happens. Yeah, and uh, it can turn into sex. Uh, you might get an erect, there might be an erection that uh, you know, occurs or wetness or turn on and you can do whatever you want with it. You know, let it, let it just unfold. This is where we're coming back to the presence with each other. We're just gonna be present, see what arises. Ha ha ha. That's, that's really, that's, yeah. And one of the things, you know, just even bringing up levity and humor, I think that you're kind of tapping into, uh, and perhaps unintentionally, a really important idea when going on your sexual journey is to handle it with levity and humor because I think that many of us take it so seriously and we feel so ashamed. What are your thoughts on levity as a part of the process of connecting with your partner? Well, sex is way too important to be taken seriously. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great quote. <laughs> right? <laughs> sex is uh, way too important to be taken seriously. I just had to say that again. I love that. I think I'm uh, uh, distorting an Oscar Wilde quote. quote. <laughs> mm. Well, oh. thank you for that, Jim. That was, yeah. that was a gem. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of levity. And I don't mean making, you know, uh, 
goofy guide jokes in the bedroom, unless your partner can hang with that. But uh, great distinction. You know, a lot of women, you know, if uh, if you start, they're actually looking for sincerity and uh, but also levity. What's that good blend, right? So you can be sincere, but you're also bringing in a little playfulness uh, in a loving way. Uh, so having Again, a lot of the engineers and guys I talk to are way too serious about sex. And that's, that's partly what creates the anxiety and the pressure when they're about to go into sex. And in fact, I just had a conversation with one client the other day where he talked about the phases. He's like, phase one, we're making out, I'm turned on, it's feeling really good with my partner. Phase two, as soon as the clothes come off or we're about to have sex, I shift into another mode. And oh God, now there's pressure. And it's like, how can we eliminate these whole two phases? How about if it's just one seamless experience of going from turn on to, to um, finally penetrative sex? What, what's keeping you from doing that? Well, there's a lot that might be keeping you from doing that. There might be history that you have with this partner. There might be your own anxiety and um, fear of failure. There might be... Um, something's not right in between the two of you. There's a resentment. Uh, something physically is off. You're not feeling physically healthy and neither, neither is she. So there's, there could be a lot of things that keep you from going all the way into sex. Um, and the key is being able to talk about it, to um, be with each other in a loving way, and to find some level of acceptance with what's happening rather than the agenda that you want to push. We've been talking primarily around uh, heterosexual couples. Have you ever worked with gay men or men who identify as more sexually fluid? And are their issues similar, different? What, what are your thoughts on that? I would say similar issues. I mean, so much of what you and I are talking about and the way I phrase things is, um, is heteronormative and mm-hmm. um, Intimacy is intimacy, right? I mean, there's different um, there's different structures that uh, gay men have been raised with. Um, maybe there's more of a hookup culture or more of a focus on uh, attractive bodies. Or I think there's a there's 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 a different culture, um, but there's also more comfort in talking around sex in general in uh, gay culture, um, and there's more um, relaxation around uh, less, um, what would you call, oppressive thinking, because a lot of gay people have worked through their own oppression in order to have uh, a successful relationship, coming out of the closet, that whole process of relating to people. So um, they've already had the experience of breaking through some level of oppression that the more hetero culture might still be affected by. Through a really introspective process it sounds like yeah or just the courage it takes to come out sometimes yeah and to and to withstand uh, a culture that may not accept that aspect mm-hmm. of yourself and you know things have changed a lot say than from the 70s say if you were if you came out then sure uh and still there's there's stigma attached to it yeah, so while it's more welcoming perhaps than it was in the 70s, it's still not perfect and there's still a stigma and that there are similarities and differences. And obviously we're using you know, broad brush strokes to kind of address the many rather than the few. And I'm guessing there are just all types of variations. Uh, one of the things that I loved about Albert Kinsey's studies was his finding that every human being is a snowflake when it comes to sex. Every person is so individual. There are some maybe things that we share in common with others, but the gestalt, the whole of the person is so individualistic when it comes to sex and that tapping in in the way that you're describing, really giving men the freedom and the tools to tap into who they are is probably a really big gift and a benefit that comes out of working with you. Yeah, I, I, I love that my work is about seeing those snowflakes and um, not doing any kind of cookie cutter uh, process because uh, even though some men may report a similar um, issue as other men that I've worked with, um, 
each man is different and has had a different history and it doesn't mean the solutions are the same. So uh, part of the mystery and the joy for me is working with, with all kinds of different guys with all kinds of different backgrounds and trying to find that way to get in there and be like, oh, so the way these combinations work produce this result, huh, interesting. Let's see, let's see what happens if we throw this in the mix. You know, so it's more of an exploratory, uh, adventuresome, uh, light and playful often if the man I'm working with is able to go there, uh, experience. Gosh, Jim, I love how attuned you are. I can just hear just in the, the way you're saying things and what you're saying that you really tune in very deeply to uh, the, the men with whom you work. That's a huge gift. And as time is running out, I, I have two final questions. The first one is, <laughs> Is there something I should have asked but didn't? <laughs> oh, gosh. It's a tricky one, Adam. Throwing that tricky one in there. Um, you know, I, I know your wheelhouse is working with men and emotions. And I, I think for so many of us guys, it's about recovering our feeling nature. Um, I'm just thinking of a Callahan comic I saw in the you know 80s. It's got a picture of the woman with a gun, and you know she's just shot this guy, and he's laying there with a bullet hole and blood coming out. It's very you know graphic. Sure. And he's. It says the the caption underneath is Chuck finally gets in touch with the feeling, and Chuck is saying it makes me feel dead when you do that. Oh my God! <laughs> I'm like, how many Chucks are out there, right? Like, there's a right. lot of Chucks in the world. And so for men to actually contact feeling, understand different feelings, like the nonviolent communication has a whole list of feelings, like right? sad and each, you know, under sad, there's 15 or 20 different shades. feelings, right? Yeah. Uh, shades of that. So contacting feelings inside of yourself and making space for that to happen uh, when it's happening, like, oh yeah, I'm feeling angry. Oh, you know, to, to work the spectrum of feeling, um, invariably has an extremely positive effect on a man's sex life. So if you did nothing else other than contact your feelings in a way where it becomes a very real experience for you on a daily basis, your sex life will take off. And I'm just thinking about how many Chucks have lived and died and that the dash between their birth date and their death date was really devoid of feeling and how tragic that is to live a life without that. Um, so may Chuck rest in peace and may we learn from his cautionary tale. Um, so my final question for today, Jim, if by magic you could help men on a large scale with their relationship with their own sexual sexuality and their, what would your, what do you imagine would happen on a large scale? That we get healthy sex education uh, when we're younger and sex and relationship education, like how to communicate, uh, how to communicate about what you need, um, how to um, take responsibility for your own sexuality, uh, not to demand that others uh, give you something. Um, like there's, there's, probably some very important courses that would be as important as, or more important than uh, learning basic personal finance or uh, how to read and write. Right. There's, there's essential relationship and sexual skills, which, you know, given the culture that we're in, uh, it's not likely to happen anytime soon. But if I could wave my magic wand and make it happen, there would be people like me and a lot of other sex experts that are out there that would be helping um, younger people learn uh, from a very early age how to be with their sexuality and their um, intimate relationships. I love that idea and I imagine that people would be nicer to people if they were having better sex in general and just better sense of who they were sexually that people might be less prone to cutting someone else off on the on the road or perhaps more forgiving when they were cut off if by chance sex 
was just improved on a large scale level. Well, Jim, I can't thank you enough for your time. I have a funny feeling there's going to be a, a volume two with you, but yeah. I can't thank you enough for volume one. Oh, Adam, it's such a pleasure to be with you and to feel what's drawn out of me by your insightful questions and your comments. So uh, this past hour has been a total pleasure for me. Thank you for thinking of me. This is Dr. Adam Dorsey thanking you for listening to Super Psyched. To listen to other great episodes or to get more information about today's episode, please visit me at my website, dradamdorsey.com. That's D-R-A-D-A-M-D-O-R-S-A-Y.com and click the Super Psyched podcast link.